living in a world gone geek. It's time to geek hard or go home. The website is fake, but the podcast is real. Here's your host, Grounded Geek. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Episode four about to get underway here with World Gone Geek. And we're going to jump into this week's interesting stories. But first, I need to introduce you to our illustrious panel gone geek. First up, my constant companion, our own YouTube ukulelist, Utashu. Welcome to the show again. Greetings, my excellent friends, again. And here's the icebreaker for this week. You're offered a million dollars to watch one movie nonstop for 24 hours straight. What movie do you choose? Oh. You have to endure mil- it for 24 hours straight. So I mean, I would endure almost anything for, for a million dollars. But, but which one say. do you do to make it the easiest million dollars you ever had? 24 hours, same movie. So we're talking like in the movie theater, at home. Does it matter? I guess it doesn't matter. No. Um, for some reason, Raiders of the Lost Ark is popping in my head. Mm. Um, I, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of my top, probably top five movies. Uh, it's just something that, it's one of those movies where like, you know, I'm flipping through the channels late at night. It's like, oh, well, I'll just sit back and spend the next hour and a half, even though I have to go to bed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch this till the very end, even though I own like four different types of media with Raiders of Lost Ark on it before they added <laughs> Indiana Jones and before the title. Sure. You know, so, uh, so yeah, I think Raiders of Lost Ark, I could handle that for 24 hours for a million bucks. I, 500 bucks, I'll do it. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm not going to pay you that. But now we know. Fine. Now we know that it, it would only take 500. That's all it takes. All right. Also on the panel, writer, musician, web dude, and originator of some of the original Star Wars fan content on the internet, Lou Tambone. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, man? I am great. It's great to get you uh, on the show. We've been talking about doing this for a long time, having you on the show, and now you're here. I can't believe it. I am thrilled. (laughs) That's not, that is not sarcasm. I'm very happy to be here. (laughs) Lou, same question for you. Million dollars to watch one movie nonstop. Which one do you choose? Wow. Uh... Yeah, and of course I can't think of any movies right now. Are there what are what's a movie? What is that? Is that a talkie? Is that what they call yeah, that? Yeah, well, talkie. no, it could be a silent movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, you get a piano player yeah. on the side or no? <laughs> no an organist, <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm gonna go, actually. It's 24 go. hours of Utah playing the ukulele along right. with I can, it. So I, the, I'm gonna I play can do the, that, and I'll play one song for 24 hours. <laughs> the I, same I song. Ask. So that yeah, so your question is just expanded. <laughs> which movie and which song? Is Utah singing for 28, 24 So hours. we'll go with the Empire Strikes Back and mm. Utah in the background playing in Agata de Vida. Over oh, and over and over and over. <laughs> wow. Because it's like a half hour song. So you only got to play it like three times. That's, That's right. So you're, you're good. Maybe four times. That's great. Good answer. I would have to say for me, and, and I do this every time I have the icebreaker question and then I admit that I haven't actually thought about it. <laughs> yeah. You think I'd have my answer ready. I think for me, it would, it would have to be, I would probably pick a comedy of some sort, something that eminently quotable that I love to like repeat the lines over and over again. Like train spot. So, yeah. no. <laughs> you know, no. Typically, like like a Princess Bride or a Bill and Ted or a Tommy Ghostbusters. Boy, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Yeah, the stuff that like I would just say it along with them. But but at the same time, I don't know if I'd go with Ghostbusters. I might have to go for something that's because at the end of the twenty four hours, I may not like this movie as much anymore. So I don't want to. <laughs> so it's got to be something I can I can endure for twenty four hours. But then also still like that. Mm-hmm. Also, it's okay if 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 
if I don't see it again for another year or two, you know what I mean? Um, and, and a lot of yeah. my friends are probably okay. wondering how I didn't say die hard. Right. Cause I do have a very, uh, that's one of my all time favorite movies of all time. Yeah. All, I said all time twice. So you can tell how amazing all time favorite movies of all time. But I also, those same people would say I have an unhealthy obsession with Bruce Willis and that's, I, I own that. That's probably no, true. No, unhealthy. We don't say that. Yeah. Well, we, at all. Well, Utah, you know that. You know what? I, okay, I just picked the movie for twenty four hours. Hudson Hawk. Oh, that's it. That's my movie. Classic. Wow. I'm watching that, that movie a, for twenty four hours. That is unhealthy. <laughs> oh man. All right. Anyhow, let's get the show on the road. It is time for this week in Gee. That's right. This is where we filter through some of the stories that come out this past week and we break them down. Here goes number one. All right. Big news for me. Anyone who knows me would know this would be the first thing I mentioned. A particular poster and trailer dropped this week. Bill and Ted face the music. This is big news. As I've said before, the first film is definitely a staple of my senior year in high school. It shaped who I was in college. And yet somehow my wife still met me there and later married me. Uh, I love Bill and Ted. And that is a true sequel to the first two movies is most triumphant. It doesn't give us much to go on. It's very, it's very brief. It literally just confirms that the actors appeared on set together that's there's not much happening in the trailers some lines that are familiar and we we kind of get the idea of what their mission is going to be but we have no idea what kind of antics they're going to get up to but i think it's great to see bill and ted back together again what did you guys think when you saw that loved it it was most excellent non heinous to to the maximum to 11 to quote another favorite movie (laughs) um no, it was great. I tell you what, it's so great to see Alex Winter, Keanu Reeves. Uh, you know, they they obviously love these characters because I feel like from the trailer, they very much, very easily went back into these characters. Now, Keanu Reeves' eyebrows look a little thin, but that's, you know, a small nitpick. Uh, and then to see William Sadler's death in that little bit in the trailer, loved it. Yeah. Um, and then to see at the end, oh, should I say anything? That's in the trailer. And to see Bill and Ted see a... I guess a future one version of their future selves, uh, all muscled up. Right. Prison. It does. It does. It, it does lead you to wonder, is this like a multiverse? Are they going to explore right. like a multiverse? Are there going to be bunches of Bill and Ted's? Yeah. Um, because that was always kind of funny when they ran, would run into their future us's or their robot us's. The and right. whenever those, those conversations that that was kind of a staple of the other movies. And so if there's an end game scene, of Bill's and Ted's, right, to come in and save the world at the end. How flippin' amazing would that be? Uh, it would be, you know, I, I'm lo- really looking forward to it. And I, I like I like the premise because, you know, for the, the title Face the Music are like, oh, what's going on? We know, we knew a little bit about uh, they may not have written the song and the future is different now. But to see and hear, um, uh, hear Alex Winter say, what if we steal the song from ourselves? Right. Perfect. Love that premise. Well, we do know we do know that the story is supposed to feature their daughters. Right. We didn't see them at all in this teaser. So we really have nothing to go on. But uh, I'm still excited. What about you, Lou? Are you you a fan of Bill and Ted? Yeah, I mean, I like that. I I admittedly need again. It's been years and years. But the I I thought it was uh, the thing that I thought was hilarious was that here here they are. How many years later is it supposed to be? I don't know. 30? they're obviously like a, they're obviously like adults now yes, you know and like they they just sure. haven't changed they haven't they haven't grown up at all <laughs> right. they're like hey dudes <laughs> and it's like you'd be like man i'm so late for work today i got i, I gotta get that 
spread out and like but they're just like hey you know <laughs> that's going oh my god it's, i love that though i think that's, that's it's, it's kind of the perfect geek movie because many of us may feel that way sometimes <laughs> like we haven't we haven't grown up and then we realize oh wait a minute we are in this you know i am 47 years old now and i need to <laughs> take responsibility Dang. for oh, my yeah, future boss. and i i haven't written the song that will save the world yet and uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's. I think it looks. I, I, it's so weird seeing Keanu without the beard, though. Now I'm so. It's he's so John Wick now. Like he's not even Neo anymore. For me. I know they're making another Matrix, but he is John Wick. Like when I see him oh, with that yeah, beard, yeah, yeah. like I'm like, that's the dude, man. He's really cool. And to see him clean shaven was just. I want them to go meta. Weird, yeah. I, I want to see like, uh, just like even just in, in passing cameos of Keanu's other characters. Just yeah. You know, <laughs> well, again, to- if they're if they're yeah. exploring this multiverse and there's a John Wick Ted, right? Yeah. Because people have even joked that John Wick is the Ted Theodore Logan that did go to military school, uh, right? Uh, that uh, did have to go because he, <laughs> he failed the test and that he became John Wick. But then I want to see the John Wick bill right like where what is bill what's in the bill john in wick universe yes. and uh, well, like what did he, he ever done <laughs> right well he, that's the thing like he like, like, like where's where's he been <laughs> yeah well he's been directing he's behind the scenes he's done a lot of stuff i guess uh, producing and directing well, or whatever yeah, but, right. but well, yeah what? not not a not a he's not a, a non-screen star but uh i would love to see like yeah he the same yeah. thing in the john wick universe what's <laughs> what's what's bill s preston esquire oh, you know it'd be awesome now now that now, now that we're thinking about it, it'd be great if they went to some other piece of the multiverse or whatever, and Alex Winter ended up doing all the all of Keanu's roles. Like in the oh, movies. Alex Winter like shows him like in the Matrix. And like, and like him and him as John Wick. You know, like that'd be great. <laughs> that could oh, be that's, fun. That's fantastic. If, if Wouldn't that not, be cool? That's now we've neat. got a plot for Bill and Ted 4, at least, if, we just, if they decide to keep going. I'm ready. Call us. That's right. Us. That's right. Number two. <laughs> All right, so Netflix just dropped a new comedy from the minds of The Office and Parks and Recreation a couple weeks back. And if you haven't yet seen it, Steve Carell plays a decorated Air Force general who's put in charge of the Space Force. (laughs) Yes, the United States' newest of the armed forces to protect American interests in space, as well as accomplish the mission of putting boots on the moon again and from there to Mars. Plays a little like a combo between the two shows the creators are known for, but it abandons the documentary style that they did in those shows it's a little uneven i don't know if you guys have seen it yet i've watched the first five episodes um it doesn't seem to know if Corell is quite michael scott or leslie nope yet like he's kind of like sometimes he's an idiot and sometimes he's like super smart which michael scott was that way too i guess but it's i don't know he's a little it's a little different of a character there are a lot of familiar faces john malkovich is great but that that is not the story the story that is that did come out if you haven't seen it take a look let us know what you think Give us your 90-second geek rant. We'd love to talk about it on another show. The story, though, this week is that the real U.S. Space Force may have to battle Netflix for the trademark use of the name. And I think that's kind of hilarious because how it works is that the trademark system in, in the United States is first to commercially use that. Um, everywhere else in the world, it's the first to to apply, the first to application. So United States does have a pending application in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, but around the world, they do not. And Netflix has beaten them to the market in uh, like early 2019. They trademarked the name around the world. 
Space Force. So uh, the United States may end up only having that trademark here in the United States, which is kind of interesting to to think about. I don't know that that's actually going to cause any actual issues. I don't even know if the U.S. will care to fight that battle. They'll just let it be. And the Netflix, I'm I'm sure, is not going to necessarily tell them they can't use the name. Uh, But it could be because that that would just be trolling in the ultimate. Right. (laughs) Um, But uh uh, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. Did you did you see this story, Utah? I know you're a NASA uh, freak, a space space. I geek. am a space geek. Have you seen the show yet? Uh, I watched the first episode. Um, R.A.P. to Fred Willard. It was so it was bittersweet to see. I him know. In that role. I like as soon as he popped on the screen. I wasn't expecting it because I didn't know he was in the cast, and he popped up. I'm like, oh. But anyways, um, I did watch. I ended up watching the first episode, and. Um, it's interesting, even just in that first episode, I could, you could, I could see what you were talking about, the little unevenness about um, Steve Carell's character. It's like, uh, you, he's obviously, I think, meant to be the sympathetic, sympathetic character, and yet you're just not quite sure if he's just a total nincompoop or if he's, you know, just trying, trying really hard. Uh, some interesting story choices that actually kind of make me want to continue on, like uh, with his wife. What the heck? Is she doing yeah. in anyways? Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a spoiler, so we won't say it. Right. I won't say it. But you know, so already in the first episode, there are a couple of things, a little seed, a couple of seeds that they've planted that makes me want to continue on. I find it hilarious that Netflix has done their homework, which makes sense, though, because they're Netflix. Um, and the fact that they've already applied uh, worldwide for the trademark of Space Force and the U.S. government hadn't thought of that as an issue. Uh, but I mean, really, it's Space Force. All their stuff should be like up in space right so but you're right i don't think netflix even though they're they they're usually pretty aggressive about protecting their copyrights or whatever else i don't see them going after the government um and i don't think it's going to be an issue but it's funny it's a funny story to think that the u.s government may have uh dropped the ball on something like this so there could be a legal battle, but it's likely the DOD won't pursue one, even after getting the trademark in the U.S. First Amendment does allow for artistic uses and parody. And so as long as it's not intentionally misleading, like counting as like an endorsement where people might actually associate the show with the real thing, which nobody's going to do. No one's going to um, do that. I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that because some of, the things, <laughs> some of the things I've seen people post on Facebook and uh, that they think is real. Maybe I shouldn't yeah. have said that. But anyway, let's hope... Anyway, I just think it was a funny story, um, and it, it could be one of the reasons the show is so uneven. Maybe they were trying to get it up and running under the copyright laws before the real branch started doing stuff, so maybe they oh, caused the development to suffer it. a little bit. Because yeah. Anyway, but I enjoy it so far. We'll keep an eye on this. Number three. Looney Tunes is back with a, well, not a bang, but booms are okay. Booms, slices, crashes. That's right. WB is bringing back Looney Tunes, and I'm not talking about Space Jam 2, though that is coming as well. But on the new streaming channel, HBO Max, Bugs and the Gang are back in new cartoons, though Bugs' favorite foes to toy with, Elmer Fudd and Yosemite Sam, will be unarmed. That's right. Uh, Or without firearms, at least. No guns in the new Looney Tunes, which... Um, this show, uh, we, we, we're not a political show. We tend to stay apolitical for the most part. We're just here to talk about goofy, fun, pop culture stuff. If you've seen the latest short that they released called Dynamite Dance, have you seen this, Utah, Lou? Yeah, I did take a look at it. It, it is literally nope. a minute and a half of Bugs Bunny blowing up Elmer Fudd 
14 different times to music with an increasingly elaborate explosive methods. So obviously it's not about the violence. In fact, Elmer Fudd is chasing Bugs Bunny around at the beginning with a giant scythe, which is almost more disturbing to me somehow than that Bugs could get impaled. Yeah. I don't know. Like that image, that visual is just, I don't know, something about that. Um, but impaled. it's interesting. You could get like, just like head kick them off. I know, right? It's just a worse and, way to go. Right? I mean, that show, the show has always been like, parents have yeah. always been up in arms a little bit about the violence, right? Uh, you know, even when, yeah. when I was a kid, I remember people talking about that, but now it's like, well, we're, we're okay. We'll put as much violence in there and they will survive uh, dynamite in the mouth, uh, exploding when just making their face a little dirty, <laughs> but no, no guns. What do you guys think? I mean, it's just, I mean, no is this an overreact a little bit? Is it, and again, gun control aside, is it, just, is the depiction of the guns in the cartoon, uh, really the issue or is it's a little more complicated than just removing that? I don't know. You know, it, it yeah, I, I feel like this might be a little bit of an overreaction. I, it, it's, if, and I wouldn't think that way if it weren't for the fact that they're keeping all of the other uber cartoon, cartoonish yet uber violent stuff going on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just to pick the guns, I, I feel like that that's just something that uh, that they feel that they want to do in, in current environments just to kind of cover their cover their butts. And I also feel like it's kind of saying like I just I just read somewhere that there are people calling for uh, they're going after Paw Patrol. Of all things, so the Paw Patrol is, you know, look, the kids' cartoon, right? They're saying that Chase, who, so each dog is a different um, public service. So you've mm-hmm. got Marshall, who's the fire dog, and you've got Chase, who's the police dog. And they're saying, well, Chase is is showing uh, is being a positive model for children to 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 think that all cops are good, and when they're not. Um, and I feel like, come on, really, there are bigger, a- more important battles right here. Chase. Well, they, they canceled cops. They canceled life. They canceled PD, cops and life. PD. Cancel Paw Patrol. And I, I and, thought that and, was a joke, but there are people who are no, serious about serious. it. No, it's serious. And you know, so I feel like that that's a, kind of the same overreaction. It's like, you know, I, now I'm not saying I'm, I'm not going as far as they're ruining my childhood because I can always go back to the Looney Tunes where Elmer Fudd is shooting Daffy Duck in the head and the bill goes flying around <laughs> in circles. That's one of my favorite bits. Right. Um, so I'm not saying that they're ruining my childhood, but uh, and I see why they're doing it. But at the same time, I don't know if they really have to. And never mind the fact that it's on HBO Max. I don't have HBO Max. Come on, people. Yeah. My confusion, I guess, is around the fact that that it's just the guns being removed. And and I'm okay with the idea of removing violence from the cartoon, right? Yeah, right, right. If you just want to do goofy, funny, silly antics, you can do it without the violence. Go ahead. But the fact that they've just chosen that one element, but yet <laughs> yet are still just as violent as they've as they've always been, feels a little disingenuous. It feels it feels I don't know, a little disingenuous to me. What do you think, Lou? Yeah. No, I, I, I do and I don't. Like, I, I think going forward, I don't really care what they do, but it does feel like. I, see, I'm I'm a little more, I guess I don't know if you call it pragmatic or just skeptical or whatever. But like, I'm of the opinion that big companies are just afraid of lawsuits and things. So this mm-hmm. is just about money. Like, this is just so we don't get hit with some sort of something happens 
And I, you know, what's funny. I was just telling this story to a friend of mine, I, I think maybe two days ago, unrelated to any of this. I mean, we were just talking about Looney Tunes and cartoons. And I remember when my son was probably, he was little, maybe three or four, I don't know. And I had a VHS or maybe it was DVD at that point of Looney, Looney Tunes stuff. And I used to love this stuff as a kid. So I, I'm showing him these cartoons and there was one, I think it was the one, don't quote me on this. I think it was the one with the turtle and the hair when they were doing the race. Mm-hmm. Bugs Bunny was ready to turtle, right? At right. the end, they had a bunch of guys lined up like in a, in a line going across and Bugs, I guess he lost the race. So he was upset and he pulls out this gun and he puts it to his ear and he goes, I just can't you know, live with myself or something. And he shoots it. It goes through his head and kills all the, the other guys and they all drop. And my son started walking around the house going, putting the gun to his head and kind of like going boom, 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 and like imitating it. And I was like, okay, we're going <laughs> to, we're right. going to stop this right now. Sure. So that just to give you like a little bit, maybe a different perspective and maybe it's not just about like, what we think guns are bad and wrong. It could, could be agreed for me as a dad. I was a little bit like, I was totally freaked out. I got rid of all those things. I took them all away and I was like, okay, we're, we'll look at this later. Yeah. I agree with you. I'm not, like I said, I would be okay if they, if they just decided to be, you know, find other ways to be funny. You know what I mean? Because like you said, well, sure. You know, we didn't show a gun, but that's not to keep a kid from imitating Elmer running around with a giant knife or something. You know what I mean? Like kids are going to, kids are (laughs) going to have a real difficult time getting their hands on dynamite or an actual scythe probably, but they might, but kids are, yeah. kids are creative and they'll find ways to make, oh, yeah. you know? Yeah, um, yeah. and so I guess that's Warner brothers approaches. As long as the things that he's using to torment them are super difficult for kids to get their hands on, then by well, all means, maybe, try and kill them with it. Maybe <laughs> I don't they're know. just trying to straddle. They're just oh, trying sure. to straddle that line maybe yep. of like the old and the new. So yeah, they would have yeah, done this before. You know, we, later we, we would have had them years ago running around with these crazy things. But like maybe now it's kind of like, well, guns, eh, maybe we shouldn't do that mm-hmm. just in case something happens. Sure. So that's to me. That's how that's how it just feels. I don't I, I don't think big. I'm again, skeptical, horrible person. But like, I just don't think big companies care about people that much that they're like, oh, people, we got to protect the kids. And they just it's all about money and oh, sure. the Franklin's lawyers. Exactly. And then, you know, you when you think about the number one video game that kids are playing right now is Fortnite. The same kids that, that might be watching Looney Tunes <laughs> yeah. are playing Fortnite. <laughs> and so I really don't I, that, I guess that's my point is just it is. It's a great point. It comes back to the argument against the entertainment industry is that they're somehow promoting violence by having these things in their shows and whatever. And Warner Brothers releases films where people are shooting each other and killing each other and graphic violence depicted on screen and things like that. Obviously, they're not for kids. But my point is, like this is like you said, this is a decision they're making and they're hoping that two things will happen. One, everybody who is anti-gun is going to be like, yay. And everyone who isn't is talking about it. And you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a thing. And then like you mm-hmm. said, anyone who, any kid who sees this isn't going to act out anything that might come back and harm the company financially down the road. So they're like covering all their, all their bases, mm-hmm. I think with this, but I just thought it was interesting. I think all three of us grew up on these cartoons, like you said, and I, yeah. I've always had a little bit of a problem when people blame television and entertainment and video games for that because I believe that it's much deeper. It's much more complicated than just 
oh, the video game made me do it. I just think there's a larger discussion there. This maybe isn't the show for that, um, but I do. Yeah. I did want to bring that up and, and just kind of talk about it. I think more than anything, I am excited to see the Looney Tunes back. I'd like to see it. Hopefully it, it won't be. Some of the other incarnations that have come in years past have not been great. Um, so this we'll see, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to look at, I do have HBO max, so we'll, we'll check it out. We'll take a look and see. Number four. Fans, as we've seen in multiple cases are often quite vocal and even quite intense sometimes when the film or television version of their favorite books is translated differently or poorly on screen. In fact, uh, Lou and Utah and I will actually be discussing that very phenomenon on our sister podcast, Fan Titled, coming to you soon in the World Gone Geek Network. Shameless plug. Uh, you can find out more on Facebook.com slash Fan But that sense of Fan again, plugging, has always set wrong with me. That's why we're doing the podcast. Another plug. However, when the original author of a book begins to voice his disfavor with the adaptation of his work, that's when I start listening. Stephen King famously disliked Kubrick's version of The Shining. It's a prominent example. But the latest author to publicly lament the film adaptation of his books is Rick Riordan, author of the Percy Jackson series. Apparently, some fans were upset with some edits Disney Plus made to the version showing on the streaming network. And Riordan tweeted, they should censor the entire thing just two hours of a black screen, which of course got fans talking. They're just eating it up. And it prompted him to finally say, and this, and this is where I, you know, I feel like I got to listen to the guy. He said, well, to you guys, it's a couple hours entertainment to me. It's my life's work going through a meat grinder when I pleaded with them not to do it. So yeah, but it's fine. All fine. We're going to fix it soon. End quote. He's referring to an upcoming TV series that Disney Plus is working on. So what do you guys think? Too bad, so sad, author. You made a deal. You struck a deal and it was out of your hands. How, how do you think it happens that a story gets this far away from an author so badly like that? Like, what do you think, Lou? How yeah. does that happen? You're a writer. Yeah. If you had written a story and you've, you've worked on some fiction, I know you'd like to publish some fiction and see it become a movie day someday. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think it does fall into that category that too too bad so sad i mean it's kind of like i hate to say it because i i would like it to be faithful but i mean you kind of give this you make this deal with the devil and you know you know what they're gonna do they're not they're never gonna you know you 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 were a means to an end okay you 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 wrote the thing and you're giving it away and going here go go make this into something really cool and they go off and they've you know too many cooks or whatever the story is sometimes you get lucky i guess sometimes you don't and they're going to make it into whatever they're going to make you can't you can't sit there you could you could by all means be vocal about it and say well i didn't like it or i thought it was this or that but you can't be like all right just terrible get rid of it and i don't think it should exist and whatever all right well you know hey they remake everything now so give it five years you're gonna get another one if it's any good you know the story definitely i don't know i'm like i'm like weird about it like if i if i sell you the rights to do this then then i'm telling you to just go do whatever it is within your means unless i put it in contract that says you have to follow this you know kind of like a watchman thing where you've got to do it panel by panel and you know whatever that's what i wonder what happens with the with these contracts and how these authors do they get them when they're when they're still new and they flash a whole lot of money in front of them and they just but jk rowling when she sold the rights to harry potter i don't know what she did but whatever she did as an author it was the right thing to do as an author because she had control, not control, but had her hand in it 
from the beginning to the end. Right. And, and I think part of it was like, she was sort of like uh, George RR Martin, oh, uh, how Martin. she hadn't finished those books yet. And so she kind of like was dangling that out there. And so she, she could still control the story because if they blew it, then they would lose the whole train of what she was writing. But the, the books and the movies were pretty faithful. There's very few fans of Harry Potter that hate one or the other. You know what I mean? There's something they love about both, Mm -hmm. uh, even though they leave a lot of stuff out. The spirit was never in question. Mm -hmm. So I have no idea what she did, but that's what you got to do. She just got lucky, though. I guess, yeah. Like I said, sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. Maybe she just got lucky. Maybe she included something because she has smarter lawyers than this guy. You know, maybe, I don't know. Like, hey, a lot of people, you said, I think they dang, they give him a bunch of money and they go, we're we're paying you. And then the author goes, all right, thanks, and, and walks away thinking that's all you do. But, you know, if you can get your hand in it, then put that in the contract. Maybe that's better instead of just taking the money and run. You can't just take a millions of dollars and run away and then moan about it. Good, but who's well, gonna listen? I, right? I would take a million dollars and then go watch a movie for twenty four hours. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> ah, there you go. I'd do that. No, I, I I agree with everything Lou said. I think I think it's really um, up to the author because obviously there are authors out there who have had their their works adapted to the screen that have had more say or were more involved in the actual production of the films, um, and so they obviously did something or negotiated something. Or, or very possibly just got lucky with, you know, an open production staff that was willing to listen. And so, I don't know, it, I feel, I, I feel for, I feel for this guy. He obviously um, is making his opinion very, very, very clear. And I find, I do find it interesting that it sounds like, so he has signed a deal with, with Disney to create a new version of this as a miniseries of some sort. So I'm curious as to, is he doing that because he dislikes the movie so much or is this another thing where he's going to take the money and then hope that disney won't screw this one up i don't know well his, his quote did say we're going to fix it soon so it sounds like okay. he's at so least more involved like he, this time yeah and they're going like to try learned. to do it yeah. yeah so we'll see lesson learned okay yep. number five all right final story for this segment for years i and I'm sure many of you as well, have sat in their homes over the summer feeling that FOMO feeling while everyone in the pop culture universe is talking about San Diego Comic-Con, channeling a little bit of Ariel from The Little Mermaid. I want to go where the people are. I want to see, want to see him cosplay, right? Well, my good friend Utah, you have been where the people are. How many, how many times have you gone now? Uh, I've been there, I think, uh, let me think. Seven, six or seven times. Six or seven times. Right. And how many times? How many times did you take me with you? Uh, Exactly. Right. So this year, (laughs) this year, since COVID. I'll take you with me this year. Thank you. That's so gracious of you. (laughs) Now that COVID has destroyed the plans of everyone everywhere. But no, the the one silver lining is uh, SDCC has decided to bring the Comic-Con to us, right? A virtual Comic-Con. What a strange new world we're living in right now, right? Where this is kind of a thing. I work for a company that does an annual conference every year. It's a big, big production. Sometimes we're in Vegas. Sometimes we're in Nashville. Sometimes we're in Orlando. uh, Sometimes we're here in Cleveland. But yeah, it's it's a big, big deal. And this year, not going to do it. We're doing a we're doing a virtual version of our conference this year, too. But uh, 
what what are your thoughts on a virtual Comic Con, and what uh, have you read anything about this, Utah? I mean, right now, from what I read, is just announced. Uh, we don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but uh, I know that because you've been six or seven times, In you you uh, you get uh, emails and newsletters and things that that uh, sometimes give you a little advance. Do have you heard anything? What do you, what do you think is coming? Yeah, so um, there were there definitely were talks. We definitely got uh, a whiff of, of the news that they were going to do something virtual uh, right after they announced that. Hey, everybody that spent the time to get badges for this year, you get you get a choice of either a full refund or we're going to transfer your current badges for this year to next year. That's so, good. So that was a big deal. Everybody was uh, kind of had a sigh of relief when they said, oh, we don't have to go through getting badges again next year. Um, so that was very nice of them to do. Uh, but uh, San Diego Comic-Con opened up a Comic-Con museum a couple of years ago. And this year, as soon as the pandemic hit, they uh, started doing kind of virtual tours and virtual uh, panels about the museum exhibits. Uh, and so every month or so they would have a PDF of a, of a program and maybe some activities and then they would have online, they would uh, have a kind of a virtual tour of a particular section of the museum. And it seemed like they were kind of, I felt like that was like a small test as to, hey, well, if this works for the museum, which is a fraction, which draws a fraction of, of the number of people as the con does then maybe we can do this for everybody else too. And then you see all the other cons doing it too. They did, they did a virtual con for WonderCon, which happens in the spring, and that seemed to work out okay. The WonderCon is, again, a much smaller con. Uh, you see Wizard World is now doing virtual panels uh, ever since the pandemic hit. And so they throw out on their email, email uh, list, hey, so uh, coming up today or next week, we're going to have the stars from family ties uh, in, in a kind of like a Zoom, Zoom chat and you can tune in and we'll ask questions and you can ask questions. And if you want to pay some money, you can get a two minute personal call between you and a star from family ties. Or <laughs> Good old else. wizard world. <laughs> right. And so, right. They're, they're finding, right. They're finding, they're finding oh where to gosh. make money. And so you can do that or you can, you know, and, and so I, I see there, there's obviously the precedent has been set by other cons and hmm. by San Diego Comic Con themselves that they can pull something off. Now we haven't heard anything about about what the what the content will be. Right. Uh, we do know that all they, they've said that all the vendors that are usually at Comic Con are going to have exclusives for this year. Except this time, you don't have to be at the con to get these exclusives. You're going to go online and purchase them online. Mm -hmm. Now, how they're going to do that, I don't know. Are they just going to open it up, or are they going to do a virtual queue system like they do for other things? We'll see. So, I think they're trying real hard to open this up to everybody. Now, the, my question is: Well, I have a couple. One, if this is successful then people are going to wonder, why don't they do this every year? Because as you know, Jeff, uh, especially for the last six or seven times in a row, it's tough to get in. And when you're not there, you do get a little bit of FOMO. If this virtual con works, this is for everybody. So, or at least a virtual experience for people. Right, right. So I mean, why and why you know, they, they can charge for it. So, <laughs> right. And people will pay for it. Right. Yep. I mean, they can... I'm sure people pay $25, $50, $75 even for a pass or whatever for to... See virtually all the, see all the panels mm -hmm. or whatever else um, and be able to stay at home. Now, for those of us that do have been there six or seven times in a row, um, we're going to miss standing in lines for <laughs> for stuff and missing out on all the cosplay and everything else. But um, I'm excited. I'm curious to see how it works out. They, they did uh, say there was a masquerade. They were still going to do some sort of, so I imagine they're right. going to be uh, I did some sort that. of cosplay element. 
So I'm curious to see how that works. And our but, good friend Nightmage has done some cosplay judging. Right, uh, he's, been ju- he's been judging at stuff a couple before. of virtual virtual cons as well. So I mean, I can right. see. Right, so it, it's it's been done. Um, I'll be let, let's see. I'm excited. I'm glad. I, I'm really glad that they're opening it up to everybody, and it's free. Is really the two big things I like about it because it would seem kind of disingenuous if they said, "Hey, we're going to do a virtual Comic Con at home, and you have to pay on top of what you've already paid if you have a badge." So. Well, that's it for this segment of our This Week in Geek. Uh, in just a little bit, we'll be back for more with Lou Tambone. And we're going to be joined by Rich Handley, who co-edited this new book about Constantine from DC's Vertigo Universe. Yes, I did say that correctly. Stay with us to find out why. Hey, everybody, we hope you're enjoying The Podcast is Real, which is the official podcast here at World Gone Geek. We hope you enjoy the website, worldgonegeek.com, which is a parody and satire site of pop culture news. We really enjoy doing it, so we hope that you enjoy reading it and listening to the podcast. But many of you have asked, how can you help? What can you do to support the podcast? Well, most importantly, spread the word. Let people know what's going on. Follow us on Facebook follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, share the tweets, share the posts, share the grams, whatever. All of those things go a long way in letting people know that we're here. People jump on these things and listen to podcasts, mostly via word of mouth. So tell people what we're doing. We'd love that. Another way you can support us is by, in your favorite podcast app, find a way to give us a review. Give us five stars, uh, tell people that you like what we're talking about, whatever. But if you were to vote, especially on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, if you were just to click those favorite buttons or those stars, that would be huge. It helps us rise up the list. It helps us be noticed by more people and therefore more people will start to listen. And finally, if you'd like to get involved in a really concrete way, we do have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash worldgonegeek. We have several tiers there where you can actually support the podcast financially, even as low as $2 a month. Did you know that if we ended up with 10 patrons at just $2 a month, that would help pay for one of the hosting costs for one of the things that we're doing here. So we would love it if you'd be able to do that. We totally understand if you can't, there's plenty of other ways to help, as I said before. But I do want to let you guys know about the Patreon account because right now this would be a sponsor break and we don't have any sponsors yet because we just got started. We're just getting rolling. Once we have a lot more listeners and a lot more of a following, we could maybe look into that. But in the meantime, we'd love to have your support in all the ways that I just described. If there's any of those things that you feel in your heart that you'd like to do to be a part of the show, we'd appreciate it. Most importantly, though, I am so glad that you are listening. Thank you. Thank you for downloading this podcast and listening, because that means uh, the world to me. We're not just talking out into the air that there are people on the other end actually appreciating what we do. Thanks so much for being there. Let's get back to the show. All right, we're back. And Utah and Lou are still here. You're still here, right? Still here. Okay. I think so. (laughs) That's a relief. Okay. But now we're also joined by writer and editor of numerous books about pop culture and the editor of Eagle Moss's Star Trek graphic novel collection. Please welcome to the panel, Rich Handley. Rich, welcome. I'm still here too. That's and by awesome. that I mean I just got here. <laughs> well, uh, Rich, when we started the show, we did do an icebreaker. I made these guys answer the question, so I'm going to give it to you as well. So cool. if someone offered you a million dollars to sit through a movie for 24 hours straight, you had to watch the same movie for 24 hours straight, which movie would you choose 
that would be the that you could endure for that long? Oh boy, uh, Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Oh, that's oh, a good nice. one. Good choice. That would be that is a good one. I I, uh, I can only imagine though what would be going through my head after the eighth or tenth time, <laughs> <laughs> because I would be standing, I would be just sitting there thinking, <laughs> even when when Shatner wasn't saying it. So maybe oh. it's a bad choice. You'd the other one is uh, Ernest Saves Christmas. Oh wow! <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, but it is a million dollars we're talking about. But uh, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Uh, Ernest saves Christmas <laughs> because uh, because I, I like Christmas and I like a million dollars. There you go. And I like Ernest. I do not like Ernest. Truth to tell, I've never seen an Ernest movie. It just seemed like a ridiculous answer. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, how many sequels did they make? I think they made 107. Right, like one for each major holiday, and then all the yeah, holidays. yeah. You know, right. Ernest saves uh, uh, Arbor Canadian Day. Arbor Day was yeah. a sad one. Yeah. Aren't you guys working yeah. on a? Uh, uh, well, you guys an, are working a book for that, an essay right? book about the Ernest. Ernest, uh, yes. all the incarnations yes. of Ernest. Yes, yes, yes. It was writing in earnest. <laughs> That's, yes. Is that a you need you need to is that a that working title? That's a good one. Yeah. Absolutely. Like well, you guys are behind a lot of cool books on pop culture. You guys have written stuff about Planet of the Apes, Battlestar Galactica, Blade Runner. I actually have that one. I love that one. That's an excellent book on Blade Runner. Everybody should check it out. But now you guys have collaborated to edit this new book about the chain smoking, wisecracking, cheeky bugger Hellblazer. John Constantine, and that is hey, how you pronounce right. the name. He said it right. Constantine. He said it right. Constantine. I was right. listening, waiting for that, you know? Lou, you wrote a little bit about that, right? Constantine. Tell us about how this book came about. Why Constantine? In truth, I've never heard of Hellblazer. I don't know what this book is about. I thought it was about a motorcycle game. It's something about, like, uh, Clive Barker and Cenobites. I'm not sure. Oh, no, wait, <laughs> oh, wrong nice. one. Good. Um, no, uh, basically, uh, I I was a Swamp Thing fan for years and I, I just couldn't get enough of it. So I I decided to read the, the, the the follow-up Hellblazer along with books of magic and other things that spun out of this. And over the years, I sort of built this crazy obsession with the, uh, with the characters of Alec Holland and, and John Constantine. And, uh, and I'm not even entirely sure what the genesis of this book was other than the fact that I'd been compiling notes about the 300 issues of Hellblazer and then all of the various spinoffs and everything uh, for years. And so because I'd already done several books for Sequard at that point, I thought it would be uh, it would be fun to do a similar essay anthology about John and his world. And uh, and Lou was a natural partner for that. And, and uh, I, I got the feeling as soon as I did, as soon as I asked Lou that I inspired in him a desire to reread, to read everything he hadn't read and reread everything he had because I was getting regular reports about the exploits of Swamp Thing and Hellblazer for a while. So Yeah, so how were you first introduced to the character, Lou? Uh, yeah, just through DC Comics, you know, just like he'd show up in other things and Sandman and some other places. I was, I had, I was reading Sandman at the time, I guess, and then um, I didn't really start the Constantine stuff until later. So I was like a late bloomer with that. Rich had already had, had all of it together. And uh, so I started to work my way backward and went to the beginning with uh, Delano and just kind of took it from the beginning. All the, uh, I took it not all the way out. I didn't get all the way to the end, but I read quite a quite a bit. And uh, I just I just love the character. I just love these kind of a kind of a jerk. You know, <laughs> it's, it's it's fun. You know, it's like he he's a jerk, but everybody likes him and everybody deals with him and they, they keep asking him for favors and doing things. They know he's a jerk. 
So it's just like he's just this intriguing character to me. Like, he, he almost does just doesn't care. Like he's almost apathetic. Or he like, cares. Yeah, or say- he cares so much that he that he he seems like he doesn't care, which I I, I would argue would be the case. Right. Oh, that's an interesting. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Because look that's at probably, how but it's look, like look at how guilt ridden he is. How how the, right. the reason the ghosts of his friends follow <laughs> yeah. him around that's his conscience. You know the fact that he yeah. breaks down. Look look at how self destructive he gets. Every every uh, twenty thirty issues, the guy goes on a drinking and drug binge and then tells all of his friends to to sod off <laughs> and gets punched in the face by Chaz. Breaks up with his current girlfriend and then says i'm gonna put my life back together everything's wonderful and and then of course 20 30 issues later he's so guilt-ridden about all the horror in his life he you know gets punched in the face and does the same thing yeah so i I think i think a large part of it is he's self-destructive because it bothers him too much but he wants everybody to think that he doesn't care Right, that's the important thing. Because he's, he's like, an abuse you know, victim. You know, keep this in mind. There's yeah. so much about his childhood. He's a person who was hardened from when he was born. You know, basically. And I before, think before uh, before he was before, before he, was, he born. was born. Technically, I mean, he right. committed his first murder before he came out of the womb. <laughs> right. Uh, because he felt yeah. threatened by by his womb twin. You know, so this is a guy who, from the moment he was conceived, uh, w- was just bound to be a jerk. But but uh, but care about it at the same time. A caring jerk. <laughs> He's a caring jerk. You know, we need more of those. He's a little yeah, those, those are the best kind. Yeah. <laughs> so his first appearance was was in Swamp Thing. How long before he finally got his own book? A couple. Uh, I think uh, two years. Two years, I think. Right, eighty five and eighty seven. But it depends on when you go by what his first appearance is, because most people will tell you it was Swamp Thing 37, but he'd actually shown up in Swamp Thing 25 mugging for the camera while a guy was being skewered by a swordfish. And that was because, <laughs> so he didn't actually have a speaking part for another 12 issues. He was an yeah. extra? He was a back. <laughs> well, yeah. w- what happened yeah, was that uh, pretty, much. G- pretty much, yeah, Stephen yeah. Bissett and John Tottleman were fans of Sting, and uh, they decided they were going to start drawing Sting into, into the comic. And so they said to Alan Moore, you might as well, you know, come up with a character because Sting is going to keep showing up. And his first appearance, he's mugging for the camera wearing a striped shirt. If you take out Swamp Thing 25 and take a look, you you clearly see police era Sting going high, you know, into the into the uh, into the camera. Do you guys uh, have while... a picture of that in the book? It, actually, Sorry. yes. And here it is. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, nobody on the podcast can see this, but yeah, that's oh, why that's you a shame. Book, that's a right? good so, point. So look, imagine. audience who can't see this, see right there. Yeah. It's right but, there. It's uh, on. Yeah. The, if you look closely, it's, there are exactly it's four on, people who can see this right now. It's on page page ten. If anybody who has the book is looking, right. And if you have the comic, just pull out at, uh, issue twenty five. But that's so cool. so so yes. how long it was between that and Hellblazer it depends on what you're going by because that's a year before his first speaking role. Sure. And Sting Sting actually cosplayed as Constantine, right? Now the you- reason that the reason that Sting cosplayed him is that uh, for the thirtieth anniversary. Um, of Hellblazer, DC put out a book that uh, that uh, reprinted some of his best stories. And um, full disclosure, I worked on that book, which is actually what led to my working on on this anthology. And uh, the the editor of the book, Alex Gaylor, who contributed to our anthology, uh, said, um, you know, I want to get someone to write the introduction to this, but you know, everybody asks Steve Bissett, and everyone asks John Tottleman, and everyone asks Alan Moore, and he says no. And everyone asks Jamie Delano. So we want to do something out of the box. And I jokingly said, "How? why don't you ask Sting? Next thing I knew, two weeks later, we had the introduction from Sting. And he posted himself dressed as John 
I think was it on Twitter? It was on social media, but I, I think it was on Twitter of himself posing as John, and he even wrote the introduction in character as John's murdered twin, the Golden Boy. Which oh, is pretty wild. oh, that's cool. I'm going to have to look it's that very, up. It's, it's very cool. Yeah, it's called the uh, Hellblazer 30th Anniversary Celebration. It's it's worth it just to read Sting writing an actual piece of uh, of uh, Hellblazer fiction. It's just crazy. That's and cool. It's good. My head was it's, spinning. It's not, yeah, yeah it's it really is good. good. It's well written, yeah. I actually yeah. picked that up. I didn't realize that you were involved with that, Rich, until it, I yeah, you read. Yeah, you saw it in there. Uh, until I read, yeah, until I read some of your book and you talked about it. But then I picked up that and actually read the sting introduction i didn't even realize i knew that there have been comparisons to the, to the look that he looks like sting like the people mm -hmm. have said that i didn't realize how deep that <laughs> that rabbit hole went oh, yeah. until i read that and i was like wait a minute this is sting writing the the thing as though they are in the, the multiverse kind of the the one where yeah. he survives and right, he's exactly. the twin and he becomes the lead singer of police and I thought, I thought that, that was, was hilarious. Yeah. In another universe, the Golden Boy became the lead singer of the police. That's right. so funny. And, and because it's published by DC, it's official. That's canon, right? In the, in the multiverse, Sting yeah. is actually the uh, John Constantine's brother. That's crazy. That's, it's, that's just, brilliant. it's just nuts. So, and, <laughs> so do, you, do you think that came about, like, did Sting, was Sting already a fan? Um, did he find out about it and, and know that? I mean, obviously he wrote that. He, he knows the lore, right? Because I, if you I can read actually it, he... answer that. There's there's a funny story to this because when uh when Alex said to me, you know, I need I need a good suggestion that's out of the box. I, I when I suggested Sting, I was I mean I was kind of half joking. You know, like I was like, there's no way, there's no way we're we're gonna we're gonna contact the lead singer of the police and he's gonna go, yeah, I'm gonna write for a comic book about a guy that a character that you know basically ripped off my face, and uh, and so so then Alex like this is a great idea, but. I need you to do some due diligence due diligence because we don't want to get sued. We actually don't know if he's aware of us. No one asked his permission. <laughs> so <laughs> so like for thirty something years, you know, has he has he not been aware that we've been drawing his face? We don't want to cause a problem here. And uh, so I, I looked around and I, I there wasn't much on it, but I found an interview online. I think there's actually a footnote to it somewhere in the book. I forget where. But he, uh, I found an interview with him many years ago in which someone asked him if he'd ever read Hellblazer. And he said something along the line, oh, and if he'd give him permission. And he said, I've never read it, but I think it's really cool. No, they didn't ask me, but I'm okay with that. And so I sent this to Alex and said, not only is he aware of you, he's fine that we you've been drawing him. And uh, so he contacted Sting, and the next day, I think, or the day after, Sting's rep said, send us everything you have on Hellblazer. And oh. so Alex basically raided DC's office and sent Sting a copy of every single published Hellblazer story that they had in file. Two weeks later, Sting sent this this uh, introduction, and it was clear he knew the lore. Two so weeks? I, Two weeks. So I don't know if I, I, it's clear that he uh, it's clear that he had to have read some of it or his rep did. I, I don't know. Sure. But somebody read a chunk of it because what he wrote came off authentic. Sure. And it was a lot yeah. of fun. It was well written. It was humorous. And it uh, it made it it made some interesting points of, uh, from a real world standpoint. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, like you said, that was the 30th anniversary, and that came out that came out when 2017 or or, or January 2018. I forget which. So it's just a little over 30 years then. Yeah, uh, that he has been gracing the comic pages. There have been a couple mm -hmm. of 
of attempts to bring him to live action, the film with Keanu Reeves. Do you guys talk about that in the book? Everything's covered. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the Keanu Reeves movie, because I do know, I mean, I saw the movie. I I, I enjoyed it on its own uh, objective merits, but it, it does take quite a um, a few distances from the, the source material. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, actually, I just watched the movie uh, not long ago. It was, it was interesting. I mean, it, it really does, you know, Rich and I have talked about this, of course, if they would have just called it like, you know, John Wick, you know, something or other, you know, like just, just some, something else. John like, Wicken. It, it would have been John Wicken. Yeah, time. it would have been yeah, John, John the Wicken. Wicken. That's Wicken teen. Wicken teen. Um, Wicken teen. Yeah. <laughs> Wicken teen. Um, no, uh, they, uh, if they would have just, if they would have just called it something else, I think it would have been totally fine, but it really was not Hellblazer. But then again, you know, Hellblazer itself has got after the 300 issues has gone off in all kinds of wacky directions. And if you watch any of that Arrowverse stuff, I mean, they go off in all kinds of crazy directions too. <laughs> so it's just another take, but I want Rich to actually go on a little bit about this. Cause he has a, a cool story about, and you got to forgive me, Rich. Cause I forgot about, I forgot how this goes. And I don't want to, I'm worried that I did it. too. So remind me. No, no, no. You, you're, 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 you know, that I think, the director had written some books that tied the universes together. Oh, yes, yes. Am gotcha. I right there? Yes. Yeah. It's not the director. Uh, John somebody. Shirley, who wrote the novelization of Constantine Time, Timmy, <laughs> uh, uh, was also asked to write some spinoff novels. Uh, they were called Warlord and Subterranean, and they're both very good, and they take place within the continuity of the comics. Other than a couple of minor, minor little continuity gaffes, but the truth is the comics themselves had more gaffes than the novel. So as far as I'm concerned, uh, it's all the same story. But one of the cool things that he did, since he had written the novelization of the movie, and now he was writing two novels about Comic John, is, uh, is he had John get a glimpse into the multiverse, and in one universe, he discovered that he was an American with dark hair who liked to wear a black trench coat and lived in L.A., <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great! Very cool. Yeah, it was. Okay. Pretty, it was. It's it was like a, you know a one line little thing here, but for anybody who who understood the significance of who was writing this novel, it was pretty funny. Oh, that's, that's cool. great! Yeah, I, I like that. I really like that. That's what, so. That's that's my perspective on the movie. Is like I, I think of it as that. It's that little that other multiverse piece. And in fact, apparently, so much DC because they sanctioned it, right? So there's a book as part of the story. So, oh, right. for in my head space, if the novel said that, well, the movie is another. But actually, if you look at if you look at Crisis on Infinite Earths, it's all. I mean, at this point, Batman sixty six is part of the Arrowverse, right? So because of <laughs> Crisis, right. so <laughs> so so at this point, as far as I'm concerned, all the versions of John that we've seen are just other parts of the multiverse and I, I that's that's how i enjoy it one yeah. might even say that there are parts of the 300 issue series that fell into other parts of the multiverse because it's very difficult to see jamie delano's and peter milligan's versions of john as the same guy so maybe mm. that's maybe that's evidence right there of something changing who knows and i mean that with no disrespect to either author because i think there's something to enjoy about every run even the ones i enjoy less i, I actually there's not a point in hellblazer's hist uh, run that i can't find something to like about it uh, even though I think I do think the first half of the of the series is a lot better than the second half. So what's next for Constantine? Do you think? Do you think we'll finally see for who? Uh, sorry, now, <laughs> now we were just arguing. For Constantine, about... probably nothing. For Constantine, probably a lot of things. <laughs> what's next for Constantine? <laughs> do you think we'll see uh, uh, finally see like uh, a more faithful film ad adaptation? Is DC spending too much time on tentpole characters? I mean, when you think about 
uh, characters they give a lot more depth to. And look how well Joker was received when they just kind of like delved into more of a character study of these characters rather than just, you know, guys in capes flying around. Uh, that's more of the kind of the dark DC universe that uh, Constantine likes to spend time in. Do you think that that's something DC is considering right now? Would you like to see yeah, that? I mean, I yeah, like I, I would like to see a, 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 I hate to use this word, but a, a reboot of Constantine on the screen, on the big screen. On the big sort screen. Sort of like just, just, but but I'm I'm getting away from this whole tie all the universes together and, sure you know everything's got to connect like i'm kind of as i'm getting older i'm kind of getting away from that i just want a good movie that's why i like joker i just thought it was a really well done good movie very dark Absolutely. but like i really liked it mm -hmm. and i think if you if you make a good movie no matter what what it is or where it comes from or what universe or what comic book it comes from it's just gonna do well because it's well done but if that if joker was made by some schmuck who didn't really and it was just like blah 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 and it like it would have just died a horrible death and nobody mm. would have cared but it's it's just, it's it's up there with like a taxi driver kind of movie it's like wow this is really something so you know it's gonna do well but i would like to see something maybe not that dark but constantine done with I, I would like to see it a little traditional. You know, I don't need to break away from the source material. I like the source material, especially the beginning of it. Like all yeah. of those first couple of runs. Mm -hmm. If somebody could just do that with a little bit of like in, in, in the style of like Watchmen, how it was very close to the material, right. very few diversions, almost panel for panel. Like, you know, like I, I would love that. I would just, even if it was a period piece, because a lot of it takes place in, you know, like Rich Nose in the 80s and Thatcher and all this stuff. Like, like, let's get that in there. It's not, it, it's not too late. I mean, Joker, like Joker was that. a period piece. Well, Joker happened. You know? yeah. 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 Joker was a period. Yeah. I, so I, I would like, I'd like to see it. You, you mentioned that like, you, you no longer care as much about things tying in together. You just want a good movie. The Joker is a good example of this because the fact, I'm, I'm a nitpicker and I don't mean to be, but I'll watch something and go, but that doesn't make sense. And then my wife shoots me daggers and, you know, I want to enjoy this. Shut up. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so when we were watching The Joker, I looked at her at one point. I said, has it occurred to you that this movie is basically saying that when Batman becomes Batman, he's beating up a geriatric on a regular basis, given their age difference? <laughs> and, then I, and I said, you know what, though? I don't care. Because despite the fact that Batman is a total jerk now, runs around beating up a 65-year-old, the truth is, I really enjoy this film, so I'm going to overlook that. And when I was younger, I don't know that I would have. It sure. would have really stuck in my craw. And now I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. Batman is not the nicest of people to begin with, so I guess beating up an right. old man is probably not outside his, his wheelhouse. With that in mind, that's the sense of Bill. Not that I'm in any way you know, saying beat up old people, just that... Having being willing to have a, a character who is not likable and and yet likable at the same time is the approach that really does need to be taken if you're going to do John Wright, because yeah. you have to be willing to root for the guy who who's willing to sacrifice his friend to a demon. Mm. You have to be willing to root for the guy who's who's willing to move on with his life after having a little girl's arm ripped off and, and having her condemned to hell despite being innocent. You somehow have to be able to accept that this guy who has a string of 20 or 30 friends, the ghost of friends whose death he caused, you have to somehow be able to say, I'm still with him, right? <laughs> That's not an easy mm -hmm. thing to pull off. And it might be why the movie didn't do well. It might be why the TV show didn't last until they brought him into Arrowverse. And, uh, 
because it's it's not an easy line to walk, and so producers get scared about how to do the source material right. They start making changes. How about we make them American? How about we take away smoking? How about we, we don't make them uh, a guy who will sleep with anything that has a pulse or perhaps doesn't? How about we uh, how about we move him to L.A.? How about uh, we have a person knock a cigarette out of his mouth every time he lights up, which is what happens on Legends of Tomorrow? <laughs> you know, how about we use him for comic relief and and don't really deal with the fact that this is an abused, broken man? Right. I, because right. Hollywood right. is afraid to do him the right, right. way. But the Joker yeah. gives me pause, and because now I'm thinking maybe they would at some point. Yeah. Maybe. No, I'm down with that. And I don't need yeah. to have it tied into a million. I don't need every DC character to show up in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, totally just, just give me just, just give me, me John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just give just... me this. And give me all his his characters, all yes. his family of characters. And do there's them a, right. And there's enough in these yes. books that you don't need anybody else. And if they show up in a cameo now and then, Swamp Thing shows up for those stories where he's needed. Great. You know, yeah, and we don't need a whole another introduction in the Constantine movie to introduce who Swamp Thing is fine. Just let him show up do it let people want who don't know him wonder who that was. who was that tree guy or who was that swampy <laughs> was that dude i don't know <laughs> who was who was that tree guy who, who, who was, was that, that swamp tree? thing <laughs> <laughs> so do we, do we right. dare do we even speculate then on uh casting do you cast sting if it were uh 1987 sure <laughs> uh, right, yeah well like, here's the thing when you're doing it before the before the new 52 or the that's not, exactly what i was wasn't he like in his 70s or something he, ju- ju- one of the things I loved about the pre-New 52 um, continuity, and this is one of the reasons why I became so fascinated with the character, is that unlike everything else going on in, 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 uh, in D.C., Swamp Thing and Hellblazer both went on in real time. Abby Holland became, uh, celebrated her 50th anniversary in Swamp Thing. John was around 60. When you look back at when they started, and she was a 20-something, and, and, and uh, you know he was in his 30s, and so... Time passed at, 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 at our speed for them. Mm. So, yes, yeah, Sting could play the Peter Milligan version <laughs> of John because at that point, John is, is, is pushing his geriatric years. But other than doing – I don't know that anybody wants to see a 65-year-old Sting, uh, John Constantine <laughs> no, no, movie. No offense uh, to Sting. He sure. looks very good Sting. for his age. Sting looks amazing. Yeah. For, I just don't know sure that does. that's what people are looking for. You know? Right. Especially yeah. if they're going <laughs> to – Especially if they do what Milligan did and have him marry a twenty-four-year-old. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm oh, all about yeah. new new stuff. Like, the, bring in somebody new. Like, do it. Like, do it as if they're just adapting this thing for the first time and no one knows anything. Right. Uh, I just. But as I far as who could play him, Paul Bettany. Ooh. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, and we did we did talk about being a more of a period piece, so we would go back to you know like into one of those eras where he is younger, and we could cast whoever we wanted. I yeah. actually would. Paul would, be, would be I think great. I'd be most pleased with a, with an unknown. Yeah. One of the yeah. things I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm big on casting a, a stunt, you know, stunt casting if it works. Like Benedict Cumberbatch was born to play Doctor Strange, for example, and Sherlock Holmes, but he was not born to play Khan. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you know, like so. As far as I'm concerned, sometimes bringing in an unknown is better, and and I'd like to see somebody approach John who I don't have a preconceived notion of. Uh, tell people where they can get 
the book, um, any other details that you want to share with us before we... Uh... Well, it's available at sequart.org, but it's also available on Amazon. Pretty sure that if they uh, go to... The, if, they don't, if they're not the type to want to go to megastores, they can go to uh, the local bookstore and order it. And you can win a copy on our uh, Facebook That's page right. right now. So ah. go check out facebook.com slash worldgonegeek, where every so often we'll post the, the link there again. I'll put the link in the show notes too, so that you can go and enter. We're going to draw for that actually... Uh, on Friday. So uh, I'm going to actually go on Facebook Live and draw that winner. And we're going to give that book away to somebody. And you guys can get a copy of the book. And the, the, the great thing about this contest and what, uh, because we don't want you necessarily to to wait to see if you're going to win the contest to before you buy the book, is if you already own the book, you can get any one of the other books in, from Sequart that these guys have worked on. I highly recommend the Blade Runner one, but I just that's because I have a soft spot in my heart for Blade Runner. But um, that's Star Galactic. Thank you. The one is Thank also you. very the good. Galactica one is Thank fantastic. You. Really, yeah, that, yeah, I'm very proud one. of that one. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good one, guys. Like, so and I, I only contributed to Blade Runner. That's Lou's baby, and it's a brilliant book. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So if you if you've already bought the the Constantine book, what's to say the title mm. of the book? Because I don't even think we've said the title this it's entire show. <laughs> From Bayou to Abyss. Examining John Constantine Hellblazer. Check out the book. It is a good one. That's going to be our show for today. I want to thank my guests. As always, Utah, thank you for being on the show. Thank and you just, for having me. And just being my friend and taking me to San Diego Comic-Con this year. I appreciate hey, you know that. Now that, the best friends now that it's free and we don't have to leave our house, I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. A big thanks to uh, Lou Tambone. Thanks for spending some time with us on the show. And Rich, thank you so much for spending time with us. We appreciate you thank telling you. us you, you have a wealth of knowledge. I can't wait to bring you back on the show and talk about Star Trek Star at some Trek. point. Because Absolutely. I know that's definitely like uh, probably your number one wheelhouse if I have surmised. I think I've seen it, yeah. You saw the one, It's the right? one with the wizards, right? Yeah. Star, yeah. Star Trek. The hat, like the hat. Are they right? Ready? All right. Well, thanks again <laughs> to my guests. We want to uh, make sure that you uh, subscribe and leave a, a, a review on Apple Podcasts. If you could, that's great help to us. Next week, we'll have Matt Shigarek, who's from the Promptly Written podcast is going to join Utah and I on the show. We're going to talk about some fun stuff, so make sure you come back, and don't forget, we've got a bonus episode dropping on Thursday, where the group you just heard, we're going to be talking about a great movie. We're going to take you back to the 80s. Don't miss it. The Podcast is Real is a Walk Gone Geek production. 